Amen. Praise the Lord, we have something worthy of building our life around. Amen. And there's only one thing that is worthy, and that is the finished work of Christ. And it says that we build our house on the rock, this rock that is Christ, Jesus. And when we build our house on that rock, that the wind can blow and the rain can come, and that house is stable and it's immovable. Amen? Yes, that the ugliness of life, you know, it, it comes, it encounters all of us. You know, we encounter it and it comes. But that wind can beat and the rain can pour. But praise the Lord that our foundation is solid that we've built our lives around not the word of man, but the word of God. Amen? The word of God that is infallible. That is God himself is immutable, meaning he does not change. Amen? There's a lot of stuff changing around us in the world today, but God is not one of those. His word is not one of those. Amen? So it's a solid foundation that we build our lives on. This morning I'm grateful again to be in front of you to share the word with you that we're together and um, under the blood of Christ and together we look at his word and we, um, we, we want to seek out what is God's plan for man and not what is man's plan for God. Amen. I've been impressed, you know, by the Holy Spirit, I believe, you know, to speak about his word just for a second. We're actually going to go to Galatians. You can turn there now if you want to get there. We're in the King James this morning. Um, this time I, I went straight KJV, you know, so um, we'll be in the King James, Galatians is where we're going to go. But I just want to talk about the Word of God in general. I always do talk about it a little because it is weighty. It is the Word of God. Amen. Not something to be taken lightly and um, grateful, again, to be sharing it with you this morning. But we want to take it seriously that the Word of God, there is some gravity there. Amen. Because God stands by His Word and by the Word of God, He is His Word. It will not return back to him void. Amen? That this is the very word of God that we build our lives around. And it is to be taken absolutely seriously because he is his word. I'm reminded of James chapter 1 in regards to what the word says, that God's word is, you know, and what it says that we can do and um, who it says that Christ is. And James's encouragement to us in chapter 1, it says that the word of God, let us put away from us evil. Let's put those things away. The King James there would say in the superfluity of naughtiness, right? Or the naughtiness, the ugliness that can, that can stem out of the life not lived in the Spirit of God. And it says, let us receive with meekness this engrafted word of God. If you're looking for this, it's about verse 20, 21. And it's, let's receive the engrafted word of God that is able to save your souls. That theology, the study of God, when we go into his word, that it is God himself, and it's not just words on a page. Amen? But the engrafted word that is revealed to us, that is absolutely able to save your souls. It is the highest thing that we can study. We can teach someone to keep somebody out of jail for a bunch of years. We can teach somebody how to make somebody better and have a longer life. You know, they did it for my dad. They, you know, put some... Um, some new heart valves in there and gave him another good 20 years, they said. You know, he keeps on moving. But you know what? This study is able to save our souls. That we understand that the truth of the, of the matter is that we are eternal beings and the Bible says that our life is but a vapor, right, in comparison to eternity. So this, this is very important. It's very weighty. It is the word of God able to save our souls this morning. Amen? That we don't turn and, a blind eye to the word of God or like, oh, here we go again. You know, here's another preacher yelling at me about something or something I've done wrong. And I don't know how I measure up on the list of the do's and the do nots, but that's not it. This is the word of God. This is God himself revealed before man. Amen? And that we have such freedom in this country that that. that we don't see it as, as precious as we should. I think a lot of times each one of us is guilty of that. 
I probably can go in my office right now and pick out 10 different Bibles and six different versions, you know. But we got to think about it. Everybody is not so blessed. There are people on the other side of the world that are hiding in the dark corners just to get a little bit memorized, to hide it in their hearts that they might not sin against God, where it's so easy for us. It's not for them. The very matter of meeting together in assembly like this, they would sacrifice their lives and their families for that. Persecution, I just want to tell you, it's it's on the uptick in 2019. From a Fox News report, this is a quote, that Christian persecution today, this article was put out just a couple weeks ago, May 2019. Quote, Christian persecution is close to genocide levels where countries like ours would have to take action in the face of genocide. It is there. When you look at the attacks in the East, at Easter time in Sri Lanka, you know, our world leaders would call it a humanitarian crisis. But the truth of the matter is it is absolutely Christian persecution right before our eyes today. So we should take the Word of God and its weight and be very grateful that we are able to come to the Word of God freely every day and every week we can meet like this and freely proclaim the name of Christ. It is our sustenance for today. Jesus pointed this and he quoted, he said that the Word of God, right? We live by the Word of God. Yes, in every word that comes from God, that we do not live just by bread alone. He points to the fact that we are physical human beings with a spiritual, and we're a spiritual being in our sustenance. This is manna. This is a daily word that we should be going to God. And when we go to God, we read his word and he reads us. Amen. And we come face to face on a daily basis with our creator through his word and through prayer. And we allow him to say, this is who I would like for you to be. And in response to his love, I say, yes, sir. Amen? Yes, Lord. This is, this is the word that is in our lives and the power and the, and the um, allowance we should allow the word to have in our lives. It's not just mere religious duty. I'm reminded that this word, God inspired men. This is what the word says, that God inspired men to write his words down. And these words have been preserved from generation to generation to generation. And God forbid that we be a generation that passes the word of God on to our grandchildren and to our great-grandchildren and to our children as mere words on a page. But it is the very word of God breathed, living before us. Amen? That it is weighty. The word of God should cause us to sit on the edge of our seats, to break off our apathy, Amen? To sit on the edge of our seats, tune our ears and say, God, I am yours. You are mine. What do you want? And I am yours. Amen? That the truth of the word is revealed in my life. And again, I operate with a yes, Lord kind of attitude. I just want to show you this in Hebrews really quick. We're going to Galatians and we'll stay there. But I just want to say this one final thing about the word. And Hebrews says the word of God is quick. It is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, God's word, and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I go to do my doing in service or whatever it is that I do, everybody else can see one side, but God can see around the whole thing. If I go to water plants, you know, then um, it is there. Everybody else can see, man, look at that servant of the Lord. But God can see my attitude about that. Amen? He can see the, um, the intents, the motives 
of our hearts and praise God that he can and that he will infiltrate our every nook and cranny. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All of us are there in front of his sight and completely known. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's King James language, but what it means is that we're open to the God to who we have to give an account. When we read about the Apostle Paul, he's going to talk about some of this, that it is God that we give account to. It is not man that we seek to please, but God and God himself and God alone. With a legalistic mindset, that chain that some of us can possess, that I once possessed myself and still have to guard against in my own life and heart, this legalistic mindset can look at this and say, God sees everything you do and there's no way that you can be doing it all right. So he's going to judge you and you're going to give an account for every idle word and you're going to give an account for every failure, every mistake, every little thing that you've done that is not, you know, that could be our minds. But if you take a step back and you see the nature of who God is, we also recognize, yes, that that is true. He sees it all. But part of the all is every hurt, every pain, every struggle, every small thing that ails us. Amen. Everything that I've gone through and been through that leads me to who I am today, God has not missed a single second. Ever. There's a song that I listen to um, sometimes on repeat. And uh, my, my girls will, they... Um, they bust me for this. You know, they'll, they'll go tell Jen, like, Dad listened to that song like a hundred times today. <laughs> but I can't help it. And there, this song, it says that in a crowd of 10,000, you don't miss a thing. It's a beautiful thing that the creator of the universe, that I am naked, completely, and open before him. And he sees it all. So it brings me to this conclusion that there's never a need for me to lie to God. Ever. Because he sees it all anyway, and we have, this, we have this propensity to do this. That in the face of man, and in, even in the face of God, and even in the face of ourselves to make us feel better, we tuck things away. We tuck things away. And we're not honest, we're not open, and God can't work with a lie, you know, because we allow ourselves to believe a lie. And so many times we're in a service like this, and we hear Pastor Paul speak, or we hear a Sunday school teacher or whoever speaking, or we open the Word of God for ourselves, or we're in the middle of worship, and we're in the middle of trying to fellowship with God. And many of you will know what I'm talking about. This block comes up, or this thought comes up, maybe something that has not been dealt with will come up in the middle of worship. Just as an example, you know, a a matter of forgiveness if we're holding something against somebody. You know, as I go to lift my hands and I go to set my sights on the Lord, a lot of times he'll bring these things up to say, I want a fellowship with you and let's deal with this, right? Or maybe there's a habitual sin in my life and God will bring that up and he'll ask for that, right? And hopefully we're the people that'll set those things on the altar and let him burn those things up and it'll be a sweet smelling savor to our God, amen? But I do come to you today, and I will say that the weight of God's Word is real. And when we come to it, He reveals us to ourselves, and we come face to face with our Creator, right? And the Apostle Paul is going to give a couple different directions, a couple different extremes. But before we get there to Galatians, I just want you to consider your own condition before the Lord. Maybe distractions have been present today, and you couldn't really get before him in worship or you didn't really get before him in prayer or any other time. And I'm not like, you know, none of that. I'm just saying, 
in this moment, can we together just get before the Lord, you by yourself and us collectively? Amen. If you would close your eyes, I invite you to close your eyes with me just really quick and engage in this moment with the presence of God and allow him to deal. Allow him to deal. I don't know what your personal condition is. I can say that there are some uh, typical things. You might say this morning that your condition is that you do not know him and that you're in need of a Savior. And I tell you that the Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. What is our condition before the Lord? Could it be estranged? Are we apart from him in some way? Some kind of hurt every now and then can hinder our relationship with the Lord because... We hold this hurt up before him or this circumstance up before him and we say, God, you're all-powerful and you're all-knowing. Why did you allow this to happen? And it can cause a rift between us and our relationship with God because we're stuck with anger and blame. Maybe that's your condition this morning. Maybe it's habitual sin. Maybe it's some sin that God continually calls for. The Holy Spirit draws you away from, but you can't get away from it. And you live after the lust of the flesh in that. What is our condition before the Lord? Are we crushed? We could be broken. We could be in fellowship with him and worship and joy together, knowing that it is good to walk in his spirit together. That could be our condition. It could just be apathetic. Been there before myself. It could be in a place where you just lack interest, enthusiasm, concern, that the Word of God does not take precedence and you're bored with it in your life. And, you know, again, if that's the case, there's no need to lie to God today. Lord, we wait on you. We want to jump into another church service as a religious duty. Lord, deal with us, please. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our condition, Lord? Help us to counter the enemy that would come in and say that you don't care about our condition or that you are angry at us and do not want to fellowship us. Today it's a lie from the enemy. And Lord, today thank you for your word. Thank you that everything is naked and open before your presence and that you are good and that you love us and that you, it is your kindness that brings us to repentance and it is you that comes and you scourge and you convict every son that you receive and those that you love. God, bring us back into alignment with wherever you would have us to be today that we can know that when we leave this place that we are at peace in the, in, in the best way the way that actually matters, peace with our creator, that you are God of all things and you desire to have a one-on-one relationship that is close and without junk in between. Lord, I just pray that you would show us our condition that we might deal with it in your presence and say, yes, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna go to Galatians. So before we go to Galatians, I just wanna um, um, break, break apart where this letter came from, what was the condition um, of the circumstance of him writing this letter to the Galatians and what it was. It was Paul and Barnabas. This is in Acts chapter 13 and 14. You can go there and I encourage you to go there and read that and back me up. Make sure I'm not telling um, this incorrectly. Go to Acts 13 and 14 and you're going to see the first missionary, not now, but later. Um, I'm going to have to slow down. You know, people tell me after I preach, you know, I go a little fast. 
You know, <laughs> I, I, I figure maybe they're not listening fast enough. But I'm going to take it under advisement. And like Josh Mount says, he says, slow it down a song and put a little drive in it. So, so um, I'm not going to make you listen quickly today. If it gets to the point where I'm talking really fast and you can't understand, just like, you know, just tell me. It'd, it'd be all right, really. I won't judge you. <laughs> I love you for it because... Um, because we want to communicate the word clearly, and I don't want to go too fast. So what we get done, we get done. What we don't, we don't. Amen? All right, okay. Um, so it's the first missionary journey. They're going, this is Acts chapter 13 and 14. They're going, he and Barnabas, and they go along to the providence of Galatia. It's, a, it's an area, and there are four different cities, and they're going, and they're taking the gospel. And through the, through the, through the way, just to kind of speed through this, um, this is the time where Paul is stoned and left for dead. He gets back up and he keeps on preaching. So this sharing of the gospel in that circumstance was definitely not always easy, but it was very fruitful because the church was established and church leadership was established. And we see it clearly from the book of Acts that that was the case from um, the providence of Galatia. Churches were started, leadership was developed, and then they went back. After they got back, Paul received a word that, that triggered him to write this letter. And that is that they were allowing people to come and say and believe that Paul's message was watered down and it was watered down truth and that something needed to be added to it. And these people were called Judaizers. They were coming and saying, okay, we will accept the messianic authority of Christ. However, we have to be Jews also. We have to continue eating the proper foods. We have to continue adhering to the Jewish customs and the law in that way. And then we're free to believe in the cross. So um, just really clearly, their return, they found out false teachers, Judaizers, had gone to the new believers in Galatia and taught that legalistic commands in Scripture were linked to salvation. They made covenant restrictions more important than the cross. If you'll be attentive, you can see this today. Covenant restrictions more important than the cross. They were promoting circumcision, food laws, and they were teaching that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they first had to become Jews. Paul writes to them to get them back on course. I want us to focus on that. You know, when we look at the book of Galatians, that is the intent that Paul is going to come. And if you don't know this backstory, it looks like Paul is a little puffed up when you start reading the beginning. Because, and, but he's not. But he's just saying, I was not called by men, but I was called by God. And this is the truth of the word, and the truth is the truth, and there's nothing else to that, you know? And, in a, and, it, and it's a great message for us to rely on today. To not fear men, but tell the truth of God and live the truth of God. When Jeremiah was first called, God's, one of God's first words to him was, don't be afraid of their faces. This is a day of relative truth where there's no capital T truth in the world around us, but we believe there absolutely is. And this was Paul's message that this is exactly how it is. Christ plus nothing equals salvation. And Paul will go, and even in the face of the Galatians, I believe lovingly, but really hard, he tells them, you're fickle and you need to fix that and adhere to the word which Christ revealed and not allow anybody to add anything to it. This is Galatians chapter 1. It starts in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into grace, into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. That's what he's talking about is them believing these Judaizers, which is not another, but there would be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel even from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He's going to say that again. 
As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What we care about the very most, and this is the, 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 the bedrock of reverence, is that I care what he thinks above what anybody else thinks. That this is what it means, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. To reverence him in his word above everything else, above everyone else. Right? The Life Application Study Bible points to the modern churches today, us, the modern church's temptation to also be fickle. Many churches today act similarly. Eager at first to learn about Christ and God's Word, they soon tire of Bible study and personal application and are swept along by the latest religious fad. Instead of becoming rooted in the faith, they remain shallow and are easy victims of modern false teachers. Don't be fooled by those who claim to be authorities or by new ideas that sound good. We stay true to God's word. We focus on Christ and deepen and strengthen our faith. There is a prosperity gospel that is one of the main false gospels that is taught today that we don't need to subscribe to, although they might have thousands of followers and be on TV and those kinds of things. But we subscribe to the word of God and the word of God alone, that we do not come before the word of God looking for self-help. I try to keep it in my mind that there is no help for self None. Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I've been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body is I live by faith in the Son of God, and I do not treat the gospel as some personal fulfillment, right? I don't treat God as the genie in the bottle, you know, in the, in the lamp. You know, I, I went to... Um, that field trip with a bunch of fourth graders then ran me to death. Like, really, I'm praising God that I'm standing in my right mind today. Um, but we watched Aladdin on the way back. And I had this scripture in my mind, and I was like, man, God, if I, if I ever treat you like that, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that we rub the lamp, and we come before his grace and his presence and treat him like the genie that's going to grant us our wishes. That's ugly. You know, how dare we treat the grace of Christ so cheaply? Yeah, man, he is God. He is good. His word is good. Paul points to two extremes that are to absolutely be avoided. Two extremes that are be, to be avoided really at all costs. And this is the issue with the Galatian people. The one side of it, and you will identify with this, one side of it is, is chained to the law. Slaves to religious behavior. The other side is to be a slave of sin. Neither camp do we want to be in. So Paul gives this medium ground. Christians swing to either of those extremes. Legalism or libertinism. That is, some, like the Judaizers of the first century, seek to find God's approval through doing good works. Some of us will find ourselves in this. That God is more pleased with me today because I served him in X, Y, and Z kind of a way than he will be tomorrow when I decide not to do that. Come face to face with yourself if this is you. Church attendance. 
Bible reading, full-time Christian service, tithes, refraining from bad activities. They judge others who fail to meet their behavioral standards or their particular interpretation of devotion or dedication. In so doing, they become slaves to the law. You see that? Where the list of do's and don'ts is regarded higher than the cross for means of salvation. Others, however, go to the other extreme, emphasizing their freedom and easily rationalizing self-indulgence. Let's come face to face with ourselves this morning. Is that us? Do we treat the cross and the finished work of Christ like a get-out-of-hell-free card and forget about the rest? That's cheap grace. Emphasizing their freedom and easily rationalizing self-indulgence and lack of commitment to the church But Paul's message to us is the same as to the Galatians. We are free from the law. Salvation is by faith alone. That means you are free to serve Christ. He's going to tell us not to give an occasion to the flesh, and he's going to tell us what to do with our freedom. And we don't leave the slavery of the law only to become slaves of sin. Amen? Galatians chapter 5. This is the very beginning. In just a second, we'll skip down to verse 13. Um, I might speed up a little. (laughs) Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. He's talking to Jews specifically, and he's talking to the Gentiles also in the region. He's saying, don't become entangled with the law again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom. Galatians is a letter of freedom. He's saying you have been set free from the power of sin. You've been set free from the law and the duty to fulfill its obligations, but now walk free in Christ. Do not become entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Not that if you are a person who is circumcised that now you can't be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if we're trusting any external thing for our salvation, Christ is no benefit to us. Because it is Christ and Christ alone that provides salvation. Amen. Yes, we must stand on that. That is a rock of our faith that nothing else provides salvation but the finished work of Christ. Yes, Paul said that my righteousness was as filthy filthy rags. Amen? Count all that other stuff, that good stuff that I can come up on a stage and say, look what I've done. He's saying all that, I count it as dung when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Amen? All that stuff is nothing in regards to salvation. It's Christ and Christ alone. We'll skip down to 13. For brothers, you have been called to freedom, to liberty. Just don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You see that? But by love serve one another. Here he gives us the instruction, what do I do with my freedom then? If I'm not, you know, I've been set free from the law, don't use it as an occasion to the flesh to just go do whatever it is, you know, and not even regard God at all in our lives. What do we do with our freedom? Serve. We serve one another in love. It is the Holy Spirit that indwells us at the, mat- at, at the moment of salvation. Amen? And the Holy Spirit comes in and he leads and guides our lives. If we would walk, if we would give him the authority in our lives, give Christ the preeminence in our lives, then we can walk in the Spirit of God. And here, it is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to serve God to serve in the church, to serve one another in love. Amen? 
Yes, that that's what we do with our freedom. We don't tout it pridefully. We don't walk out and go live a life of sin because we know that we can. You know, we don't go back and tell other people, look at all the bad things that you're doing. You're going to hell. You know, we're, we're not in legalism and we're not in the flesh. We serve Christ in love and we just live. We just be in the Holy Spirit. Be there. Be filled with Him, right? That we're not, we're not, but we're currently all the time filled. And I'm not, I can look back to 2002 when I was saved and I remember that moment. I remember it well. But I cannot live today in the glory of that. I have to live today in today with the fresh Spirit of God. His mercies are new today. His word to me is new today from the revelation that has been for generations to come that he speaks newly and freshly. And on a daily basis, I come face to face with the God of all creation and he lets me know that he is pleased because he sees his son in me. He lets me know what changes to make and how to properly live as he would say for me to do. Amen? That this is it, that we live in the Spirit and we serve one another in love. That's what we do with our freedom. For our all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. We know that He has made all things new. That we come to Him, we are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, by believing Christ. That we come to Him and we say, I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. We hone in on that little part that says, Jesus is Lord. Man, He calls the shots and He, I am willfully bound to Him and I walk in the Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Paul's about to point to the fact that we are spiritual, eternal beings in a corrupted body. Um, Jim York on a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, he talked about this corrupted body. And we don't know everything, but we know that when the Lord comes that we will be like him. And we will have a glorified body and we will be in him. Sin is gone and is done away with. But now in this moment, we will have to deal with it. Yes? And you know it. You know it well. Temptation probably knocked on your door, if not today, this week. You know, a trial comes by and would grab us out of the presence of God and have us be angry at God rather than to run to him for explanations and ask him the hard questions and get the good answers. Yes, that, that, that would be us, but we walk in the spirit. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. They're very plain. And he gives a list of ugliness that emanates from our lives when we are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. He ends that list by saying, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The religious person in me is tempted to take out a piece of paper or one of those big old post-it notes I keep in my office and, and, and write down a list of the bad things and write down a list of the good things and, and in my mind say, okay, I need to keep these away and I need to do these. So what I just did is I totally misapplied what Paul is saying and it's a misapplication of the word of God for me to say, okay, this week I'm going to work on love, joy, and peace. Next week I'm going to focus on long-suffering, goodness, and that is the legalistic person rising up inside of me 
reducing the grace of Christ to a list of do's and don'ts so that I can look in a month and say, look at my progress. God must be happy with me. I haven't committed adultery or been envious or been angry in this last month. And look at this. I've seen some joy, right? I've seen some. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying it is evident when we walk in the flesh, these things naturally come out of us, this ugliness. But if we would sign the death certificate of our own sin nature, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and its lusts, that when we wake up and we make a daily decision for Christ and we walk in the Holy Spirit, that these things automatically come out of those who would walk in his spirit. Because it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. That in my flesh, I'm incapable of love. I'm incapable of loving my wife, my family, my church, and being who I need to be all on my own. I crucify my flesh with the passions and lusts of it, and Christ lives in and through me, and therefore loves through me, and joy comes through me in the middle of the ugliest of circumstances. Amen? Some of you can testify to that, but that is the truth, that we wake up on a daily basis and we decide, today I will make this and this only effort to get to where he is, to get before the face of my creator, die to my flesh, and allow him to live in and through me. Amen? That is the message that Paul is telling the Galatians. It is him bringing them back into alignment with the truth of God's word. And that's what we want the Lord to do for us today, that when we recognize our condition in his presence, that we allow him preeminence. And we say, put me back in line with your word and with who you are and who you want me to be, that I am not working for my salvation, that when I come here and I lay my life down in service, it's not something that I should be prideful about. It's not something that I should go back into his presence and say, look it, I bet God, I bet you're glad I'm on your team. That's ugly. And Paul is saying that is ugly. We're not in bondage to the law, right? However, I'm not in slavery to sin. I'm living a life that is free in Christ and allowing him to live in and through me. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. There's just one more thing, and we're going to close. If you'll um, tune your ears to this, this is one of my favorite guys that's not around anymore. His name is Oswald Chambers, and he gives a devotion um, called the, uh, My Utmost for His Highest. Here's what he says. And, um, regards to Galatians. He says, the inescapable, this, I mean, this is tough language, so you got to listen hard. The inescapable spiritual need each of us has is the need to sign the death certificate of our own sin nature. I must take my emotional opinions and intellectual beliefs and be willing to turn them into a moral verdict against the nature of sin. That is, against any claim I have to my right to myself. It is all his. Against any claim that I have to the right to myself. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He did not say, I have made a determination to imitate Jesus Christ. 
or I will really make an effort to follow him. But I have been identified with him in his death. More proof of this. You can turn over to Romans chapter 6 this week and see the picture of baptism that is laid before our face. And he said, don't you know that as many that were baptized in Christ, it was like being baptized into his death and being raised up from the water is a picture of Christ being raised again from the, death, from the dead. And we also rise up and walk in a newness of life. I've been identified with him in his death. Once I reach this moral decision and act on it, all that Christ accomplished for me on the cross is accomplished in me through Christ and not of my own self-effort. My unrestrained commitment of myself to God gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to grant to me the holiness of Jesus Christ. All my righteousness, Paul said, is as filthy rags but imparted. Pastor Paul has nailed this, I'd say, over the past year, over and over, that his righteousness is imparted to me. The righteousness of Christ is given over and laid on my account. Praise the Lord. It is no longer I who live. My individuality does remain. Listen to this. But my primary motivation for living and the nature that rules me are radically changed. I have the same human body as I had before, but the old satanic right to myself has been destroyed. In the life which I now live in the flesh, not the life which I long to live or even pray that I live, but the life I now live in my mortal flesh, the life which others can see, I live by faith in the Son of God. This faith was not Paul's own faith in Jesus Christ, but the faith of the Son of God himself. It is no longer a faith in faith, but a faith that transcends all imaginable limits. A faith that comes only from the Son of God. The Bible is clear about each of us being given a measure of faith. And that enough where the Holy Spirit pushed us enough to see the revelation of Christ. And it is Christ in us. It is this adjustment of how we see the world in our spiritual lives. This adjustment of what it is to come to church. This adjustment of what it is to be a Christian. Amen? We are not people who are religious. God, keep us from being religious people, right? We're not fleshly people. God, keep us from being fleshly people. So what are we? We are his. That's the end of it. If you would, bow with me, please. I'll ask you again, what is your condition today? As you come face to face with your creator and I come face to face with mine, what is your condition today? Is there a point where God's word has pricked your heart? Then I encourage you, 
um, with the words of Christ to the Apostle Paul when he was first being called as Saul. He said, why do you kick against the pricks? Let us not kick against the pricks this morning that if he um, is calling us in one way or another that we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and to move in our circumstance and in our decision making and that we say yes to the Lord this morning. You might say your condition before the Lord is that you do not know him and you never have known him. And I would invite you to salvation this morning that he is there. He knocks on the door of our hearts and there's nothing real special that needs to happen except that you accept him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says very clearly that if we would believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. If you want somebody to walk you through this, there are plenty of people that would be glad to here at this altar this morning or in your seat, you just ask. You find your condition with habitual sin in your life. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And confessed sin, according to the word of God, is forgiven. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But let us not lie to ourselves and lie to God this morning. And let's call sin what it is in our lives. And allow him access to the very heart and the very soul of who we are this morning. Do we rely on good works? Do we think God is proud of us just because we work for him? And if that be the case, let us let go of that, that Christ might operate in and through us in whatever way he sees fit, that we don't become weary in well-doing, that we do work hard to show the results of our salvation, but to understand that the only work that should be there is the work of Christ in and through us. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the pricks in our hearts that you do give that prove to us over and over again that we are sons and that we are daughters. That you do correct us. You, create, you, you um, correct the path that we choose to walk when we come face to face with you. Lord, you reveal us to ourselves. And God, I pray that you would do that through your word again and again and again. God, I think I can speak for a lot of people and for myself that we just want what you want, Lord. We want to leave here knowing that we have been with you and that you are living in and through us, Lord. We are helpless but not hopeless this morning. We know that we can die to ourselves and live a life that is alive in you, that you live through us and in us to impact the world around us. God, thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we continue through this week to encounter you face to face on a daily basis and say, yes, Lord, on a moment by moment basis that we practice living and being in your presence, Lord. If we are caught up in religion, God, I pray that you would just give us the freedom from that to just walk in your presence and to live in you. If we're caught up in sin, Lord, you can break every chain, Lord, and I thank you for that. Thank you for that.